Hello, and welcome to Regrets I've Had a Few. I'm Paul Hunter, Artistic Director of Told by an Idiot, and this is a podcast where I talk to friends and colleagues delving into what made them the person they are today. Hello, and welcome. Uh, my guest this month is uh, a director, uh, a writer, a translator, and a theatre maker. And he's worked all over the place in lots of different countries, lots of different theatres, and lots of different languages. Uh, he was an associate director at the Bush Theatre in London and was part of the hugely successful show Misty. Um, and recently, very recently, he directed an utterly sublime version, his own version of a translation of UNESCO's The Chairs. I think, and I might ask him this, but I think what links a lot of this is a passionate love of the act of theatre itself, is what I think about, but I'll, I'll grill him on that. Uh, welcome, Omar Elerian. Hello, Paul. Very nice to meet you. Thank you so much for joining us from Milan. Yes, yes, it's my pleasure. I'm back in Milan now. Excellent, having just been here in London. Now, I, I know we've been talking recently uh, because uh, uh, we at The Idiots are planning what is in some ways a football show um, based around my team uh, and their greatest ever achievement, Aston Villa, uh, 40 years since they won the European Cup. And I wanted you to join me, unaware that you were also a passionate uh, Villa, uh, not Villa fan, obviously, um, a passionate football fan, um, uh, following Inter, that's correct, is it not? That's it, yeah, I'm an Inter Milan fan, which I suspect has some similarities to being a Villa fan. There's lots of suffering involved. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a, very, that's a very universal theme, isn't it, in football, unless you follow very particular teams. Now, exactly. I won't dwell on suffering too much, but of course, as we speak, it's the morning after, uh, sadly, your elimination against Liverpool uh, in the Champions League. And I listened on the radio. I just wondered briefly, uh, without swearing too much, uh, what your thoughts are this morning as you reflect on that game? Well, well it, it was kind of expected, to be honest. I mean, uh, Liverpool are, are a bit out of our league at the moment, although Inter, of course, has a has a, a wonderful history of uh, European football. But uh, I would say at the moment, we're not even close at the level of Premier League football and Liverpool specifically. And we lost 2-0 on the first leg, although we played very well. Um, and yesterday we were about to edge it. We had just scored and one minute later they sent off one of our players. So I think the I've, I wonder. up. I, I wonder if yeah. you're, it's that uh, great footballing cliche, whether you're in a period of transition <laughs> we are we are we, lo we lost three very good players last year because of money and budget i mean the italian league uh maybe 20 30 years ago was still kind of the top uh of the cream but now it feels like the money's drained out because of many reasons poor management lack of vision and what not so we tend to lose our best players um, <laughs> and, then, and then rebuild every year but we're doing very well in the league that's you know, we're good kind of and actually when you when you said you lost the first leg 2-0 we when we were talking a while ago you reminded me of your extraordinary yeah. comeback against Aston Villa in the UEFA yeah. Cup when we beat you 2-0 yeah, yeah. and then at the San Siro you scored three 
Yeah, that's one of my earliest football memories. I think it was like 1994 or 93, something uh, yeah, like that. Early or 90s. maybe even earlier. I think, yeah. And uh, I mean, that was a we, we, we had a wonderful team at the time. And um, I remember listening to that uh, match on the radio. And, you know, uh, when, when you do have one of these historic comebacks, you know, from yeah. you go like you score the first goal and you go like, oh, is it going to happen? And then you go two nil and you go like, oh, wow, it's actually <laughs> possible. Well, and, uh, well let's, yeah. let's not dwell on that too much, Omar. Let's move. <laughs> <laughs> As the host of this podcast, I'm going to yeah. move things swiftly along. To theatre. <laughs> well, there, there, there is a lot of, I think it was Roland Barthes, who once said, you know, like if uh, if there was the same level of engagement in front of a theater show that there was in front of a football match, you know, things would be a lot more exciting. <laughs> well, I think it's true. And part of the the desire to, to do this show, Would You Bet Against Us, which is mm. a kind of mix of autobiography and, as I said, the, the football, is is in a way to explore that notion of, Mm. of how people engage with a live event. And, and I know mm. you're obviously very interested in the nature of what, what makes something live and the spontaneity. Yeah. And the, so I, yeah. I, I'm very interested in that. But if I could take you further back now to mm. childhood, did you, um, did you grow up in Milan? I grew up in many places, actually. My father is, is Palestinian or of Palestinian descent because he was born in in Egypt in 1950, because uh, uh, um, my family, his parents, were had to leave um, Palestine in 1948 when it became when part of it became the state of Israel. Uh, and my mother is Italian, so I was born in Milan, but then we traveled quite a lot when I was a child. We we lived in the Middle East in Kuwait. We settled back in Italy for a little while. We then went to Egypt and to the United States. And then my mom was fed up with moving around and <laughs> changing countries. So we then settled back in Milan when I was like 11. Okay. And that's where I grew up, you know, my formative years, as they say, you know, all the way into graduating from university. And then I started my own nomadic journey you know, life, uh, <laughs> uh, later moving uh, to Paris first and London and now I've come full circle I have kids of my own so. and, you're, and you're back in Milan if I can I'm take you take you back yeah. to that kind of 11 12 year old yeah, period yeah were yeah. can you remember was there much engagement with theatre in the family did you go to the theatre no not at all not at all we we were living in the suburbs of Milan, uh, where my parents still live, actually. I live in, in, in the city now, but uh, we grew up around like, what, 40 minutes by train from Milan. And no, I, my family was never particularly interested uh, in, in the arts or theater specifically. Um, my mom is a secretary. My dad is, you know, uh, was, I mean, now he's retired. Um, business manager uh so yeah theater the encounter with theater happened a bit later when i was 17 18 wow. in high school completely by chance as many of the things that happened to me in my life you know <laughs> um and it was yeah i was i was uh in high school uh i think the last year of high school and a friend of mine was much more interested in basketball and 
um, and sports. And, um, and a friend of mine stole my backpack on a Saturday afternoon and hid it in the theater class, which was happening after school hours in, in the afternoon. And I had to kind of, you know, knock at the door and sneak in and kind of say, excuse me, excuse me, this idiot has stolen my backpack and, and hid it here. And the theater teacher, dear friend Attilio, uh, said, well, now that you've interrupted us, it would be very uh, unpolite for you to leave. You need to stay for the whole class. I was like, no, I mean, I need to get to training. And he said, like, no, absolutely, you can't leave. And so I was um, kidnapped for two hours. <laughs> kidnapped by the theatre. And, um, and, and then I went back the following Saturday. Uh, and, yeah, I started, you know, that course. And then with the, with the people there, we then went on to create our theatre company. We took over a disused... Uh, um, cinema in the local town and started making things you know like just because we liked hanging around we all had different interests there were musicians people who wanted to do film we were all kind of learning on by making it and uh, and then I started uh, studying at university literature and philosophy and then kind of took my master's into theater studies and yeah that's it it's interesting I, I feel I, I feel a connection there in the sense that I was mm. very into sports at school mm. and then again not quite the same way I wasn't held hostage but I was kind <laughs> of um my bluff was called when I said to my mm. English teacher, then she said the auditions for the school play were happening. And I said, oh, it's always the same people who do that, get those parts. And she <laughs> said, well, why don't you come along? So somewhat reluctantly I did and, um, and ended up being in this George Bernard Shaw play and actually really <laughs> enjoying it. But I remember I felt I had to keep it quite secretive. I didn't tell the friends that I played football or rugby with because I mm -hmm. thought that wasn't cool. So I, I kept mm -hmm. the notion of theatre quite close. Or was, or was it different for you? Was it something you could talk about? We could. I mean, uh, it, it was a really interesting class because we were not doing theatre as in, oh, let's do a Shakespeare or a, or a Pirandello, you know, being in Italy. Um, Actually, the teacher was much more interested in using theater as a way of kind of empowering us, you know, uh, which felt quite radical. It is still, yeah, you know, if I think about sure. it, quite radical at the time. So we were making our own shows and we were using that time to discuss our, you know, our politics, our sexuality, our contrast with the institution of school and education and parents. It was it was a quite liberating moment, um, and uh, yeah, I think of course you know there was the usual things that maybe twenty thirty years ago were associated with making theatres that you know it was a bit girlish you know mm. we were all I remember we were all putting on these kind of very tight black mime suits <laughs> uh, and I was like oh my god. Um, but but there was a playfulness to it and a real sense of of discovery. He sounds a he sounds a very inspiring teacher. Do you still absolutely do you still know yeah. him? Yeah, yeah. 
Yes, 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 yes. He's, he's, uh, I mean, although we haven't spoken now for a year and I feel very ashamed not to have seen him, but it was also because of COVID and he's kind of getting older and I have kids, so we couldn't really see each other much. But yeah, yeah, he's absolutely one of the defining people in my life, not only uh, in regards to theater, really. Um, he's a, a, a true a true teacher yeah. you know and somebody who was was there to to really provoke us into not falling into the molds that are created by you know school and society and what is expected of you but he sounds really a question he sounds a, a wonderful uh, maverick or, or radical he, um, yes yes which absolutely. is it, it's great when we encounter them do you um do you remember seeing any particular performance that inspired you uh, when you saw something? Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, many, of course. But if I have to pinpoint one, uh, I remember, I think it was when I had started university, I remember seeing The Far Side of the Moon by Robert Lepage. Yeah, yeah. Which I completely, completely baffled me like I was like oh this is extraordinary you yes. know the storytelling the stagecraft um the the story itself um and I basically looked at that I was like oh wow I want to do that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do that and I looked at the people around me I was like I want to make people f feel like that you yeah. know I don't know if you've seen it I did but, see it I, I, oh my it's god one it of, was I had to someone asked me to write my for Told by an Idiot to write my top mm. 10 in, uh, formative pieces of theatre. And it was in that, mm. I totally agree with you. It was trans transformative. Yeah, yeah. The, way, the way in which I think something, it was a one-man show really, you yeah. know, but it was so epic and the inventiveness of it and, and the humanity of the story. Yeah. Oh. Um, and also I, I remember my memory of it is also how brilliantly accessible it was. I went, yeah. I went with a friend who doesn't go to the theatre and a group of us went and we were going in and she asked the usher at the National Theatre, how long is this show? And the usher mm. said two hours and 20 minutes without an interval. And she went yeah. to leave and I put my hand on her arm. I said, honestly, if it's terrible, I'll pay for your ticket, but please stay. And she so loved it. The next night she came back to the theatre with me to watch a Q&A and she never went to the wow. theatre. Wow. Yeah. And I think yeah, that's the, yeah. the amazing thing about the Page and that show in particular for me was it was so open yeah. to anybody. Yeah. And I remember uh, also, uh, more or less at the same time, I remember seeing a show by a Russian director, uh, Lev Dodin. Um, great, great master. You know, I think he's still working now. He must be like 150 years old. But. Um, <laughs> And it was a seven hour show in Russian with subtitles. And I thought like, oh, I'm never going to last that long. <laughs> and actually, it was absolutely extraordinary. You know, I still have very vivid memories of the show. Um, and, and, and yeah, to be sitting in a theater, watching something for that long, being immersed in a completely different language, but, you know, trying to extract meaning and seeing how as a as a uh, as a community you know yeah. a thousand people or you know where 
connected. We're just kind of connected was was extraordinary. And you mentioned these two extraordinary pieces of theatre and, and the mm. very international nature of them. Was that mm. what drew you to Lecoq? How did you hear about Lecoq School? Okay, yeah, that's the other chance encounter. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, I didn't know much about Lecoq. And a dear friend of mine gave me as the present his book, uh, the uh, Le Corps Poétique is in French, I think it's the, the Poetic Body, uh, the translation in English, which is basically his uh, kind of pedagogy just kind of written down. And at the time I was working on uh, 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 basically a, a, a site-specific performance of King Ubu by Alfred Jerry. Mm -hmm. And I read this book during the Christmas break and I was like, oh, wow, this got so many interesting things. And I was particularly interested in the, the idea of the bouffant because, of mm -hmm. course, with Jerry, um, the, there is a lot of that. And, uh, and it intrigued me. And I thought, like, oh, this man has really kind of created the system. How fascinating, you know, it, it really... Um, it was really interesting because I think a lot of Lecoq's work is pushing towards finding, the, finding this kind of common poetic language, which kind of is beyond language, is beyond uh, the boundaries of, you know, cultural references and nationality. And so I read the book and then I thought, and then I knew a few people who had studied either with Lecoq or with people who had trained at Lecoq in Milan, who was working with a theatre company that was, you know, doing workshops in schools. And I said, like, what do you think? She said, like, well, you should apply. And, and, and I wrote them a letter. I didn't speak a word of French at all. <laughs> and I wrote them a letter and said, I'd love to come to your school. And it was way beyond the the deadline so I thought like oh it's never gonna happen and they actually wrote me back and said like oh somebody's dropped out at the last minute uh do you want to come and so I hopped on a train <laughs> went to Paris my best friend had just moved there the year before to go to a film school so I basically said like oh, I'll crash on your sofa and let's see how it goes I might just leave after three months and I stayed seven years I wow and uh, did you um, it's interesting this because obviously some of my previous guests have, have, have studied there and I was talking to mm -hmm. Joss Huben about this. Yeah, uh, and, uh, who was my teacher. Ah. <laughs> He's now a very dear friend, but he was he was my teacher. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. and yeah. he was talking about when he went and, of course, then meeting Marcello and Simon and, mm -hmm. and, um, mm -hmm. and that sense of finding connections. Are there people that you still collaborate with from those days in shows and things? Um, not, not directly on shows, but... As always, you know, you kind of, it, it, it's such an intense experience. You go through two years in which you're thrown into this uh, blender of, uh, you know, art, emotion, humanity. <laughs> uh, and, and, and so there is like quite profound memories that stay with you. And I ended up kind of working a bit with a few people after uh, after finishing the school. Uh, a lot of them actually being based in the UK because they went back to, to Great Britain and kind of set up their own companies. Um, but yeah, I think since I then started working 
at the Bush Theater, which is a bit more kind of institutional new writing, mm -hmm. I feel, you know, sometimes like those, um, yeah, those styles don't really meet or they feel well, like it's interesting. Separate, we, we, I you know. want to talk specifically about that point mm -hmm. in a second, but my, just on that moment of leaving Lecoq, at that point, did you mm. see yourself as a performer or was it the directing thing that, or writing? What was, I was your... I, I was always more interested in directing, to be honest, directing, writing, theatre making. But then, of course, working at Lecoq, you kind of go through that whole phase of collaboration where you're devising collectively. And uh, I don't know why they wanted me to act. It was never my thing, but, <laughs> you know, you end up on stage. Um, I, but it was, I mean, it, I guess for some kind of work, uh, mainly the non-verbal work, you kind of feel more at ease. I think then when language started entering the room, I kind of felt, oh, is this really my, my thing? And to be honest, what I've always enjoyed, the part of acting that I enjoy is the one that happens in the rehearsal room when yeah. you're trying out yeah. stuff, when you're discovering things I really enjoy performing there within that environment and then there is the moment where you transition to like oh we need to have a show and do it every night in front of people and it needs consistency i always go like oh i'm not sure i can find you know new things <laughs> can every say, night to get yeah. can i say as a as a performer in my mid 50s it is something mm. that uh, me and my contemporaries often talk about is our continued passion and fascination with process mm. and sometimes the dread of having to perform it every <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But I, I have always kind of envied and admired the people who had the fire, you know, yeah. to go on stage. And I think that's a very peculiar thing. And, and you see it immediately. And I remember in the school, you could tell the people that really had that kind of yeah. fire inside them. Where for me, it was, I enjoyed a lot more sitting, watching <laughs> people do things than actually having to stand up. Uh, I just ended up as a provocation, as so like, oh, I can do something so maybe somebody can see how not to do it. Um, <laughs> that's, a very, that's a very useful tool, I think. Exactly. Um, you, you, exactly. Touched, you touched on the bush, and I'd like us to come to the bush because it's when mm. we met when mm. you and Madani were there yes. and it was exciting yes. times yeah. I felt at that theatre and, and we had it many was. conversations and for various reasons we never quite got over the line with the project mm. and that those things happened but I yeah. always enjoyed those conversations and and um and uh, and then ultimately I did do something there when you invited me to do some crazy thing where I just encountered the play and the audience at the same time live on stage oh you did uh, which one did you do did you do rabbit or did you do nasim or or was it blank oh, it might have been blank before. blank the one with the blanks yes yes and yes I, yes and, um, i remember i remember i enjoyed it immensely and um yeah and uh, it, it kind of brings me to my next question it's something that mm. you just said omar in a way is I always mm. felt that some of the stuff, given now you're talking about your background and your interest, in a sense, didn't sit totally comfortably within a more <laughs> conventional British theatre yeah. structure. Yeah. So I suppose the classic example was my dear friend Caroline Horton's, the show, the Buffon show you made there, uh, yeah. Islands. Yeah. Islands, yeah. Which I enjoyed yeah. enormously. And um, mm. I was sadly not surprised when some members of the establishment did not feel this was appropriate way to address that material. Whereas I felt yeah. it was highly appropriate. 
But it, yeah. I think you ran up against that thing, which we sometimes get, we're told by an idiot, where they mm -hmm. don't feel our form is appropriate to address mm. certain things. Whereas I would argue what you did with that show, which I should say mm. was a kind of uh, satirical, uh, for listeners, a yeah. kind of satirical yeah. attack on tax evasion and all that kind of... Yeah. I thought your vehicle yeah. of the Buffon couldn't have been more appropriate. <laughs> but I think the well, establishment don't want that. They want it to be very considered and presented in a particular way. What, what's your thoughts? Islands is such an interesting play. It comes back in conversations, you know, years afterwards. And uh, I have very, you know good memories of it um although of course there was a bit of a backlash from you know i think mainly the the press but yes. also from people and uh i remember uh i had i've been working a bit in germany lately but i've always kind of had a few friends coming from europe and germany specifically and they and i was telling them like oh you know i would say probably a third of the people uh, really, really disliked it, and a third of the people had no idea what was going on and didn't, you know, didn't have an opinion. And a third of the people loved it, and they said, "Like, oh yeah, that's the perfect show, isn't it?" I said, "Like, well, not by British standards." <laughs> <I can say. laughs> um, so for me, that was a kind of revealing moment because, in a way, I thought, "Well, the show is doing what it needs to do. It is provoking people. Yeah. It is provoking reactions," and. And I think sometimes with certain subjects, and it was very interesting to me how that subject, specifically being money, you know, uh, was, they just felt it was going a step too far. And it was, I would say, trivializing maybe, mm -hmm. uh, something that deserved uh, a different kind of lens or a different kind of platform, while actually, we never set out to do that. If anything, we were very, very conscious about the fact that we wanted to create an equivalence between money and 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 as it yeah. as it were in that yeah. specific show or cherries. Um, but there was a lot of scatological references, the ugliness of it, and and Caroline, you know, when when she started writing it and she shared the idea with me that at the beginning was really really adamant to not treat the subject with you know kind of velvet gloves but actually wanting to expose the the ugliness yeah. you know uh, and the real damage that these kind of very far removed things you know bureaucracy um accountancy and uh you know tax codes actually how they are reflected in ordinary people's lives uh, through actually harm, you know, real harm when you take it on a global scale. So I think it, it was the only show that we could have done about the subject in a way. Um, and, and I still have people, you know, that stop me and go like, oh, I remember seeing Islands, how amazing was that? And I, I, I do feel now especially having worked a bit more in the UK and trying to do the work that I like and that I want to see on stage at least, or that I feel I can do on stage, is that, yeah, you, you need to find the thing that you can do and that is dear to you and eventually find your audience for it. And sometimes that audience will be very wide and other times it might be very small. 
but that doesn't mean that you need to kind of bend your practice no. just to kind of have a, a bigger reach or to kind of appease uh, what is the expectation I, of the I, establishment. I think that's very perceptive, Omar, and it's certainly mm. something I could, uh, Haley and I and John can mm. hugely relate to. I think yeah. there's often been times when, particularly critically, people haven't liked our work and they have, mm. it's kind of, angered them in some way they've, they've got very so it has provoked a reaction quite strongly but anger is a good reaction i think no? so it's a wonderful <laughs> it's a very good better reaction. than indifference absolutely than indifference. Um, yeah. and i think sometimes they end up writing about what they want the show to be and they're annoyed yeah. that it's not that thing that yeah. they wanted yeah. it to be it's uh, anyway let's yeah. now let's talk about something which reached a very big <laughs> audience uh, how did yes. you get involved in misty and uh, how did that come about Interestingly enough, it, it involves Caroline Horton ah. uh, because I I worked with Caroline on her first show, um, You're Not Like the Other Girls, Chrissy, which was a her first one woman show. It was a, a, a beautiful, heartwarming story, the story of her grandmother, Christiane, uh, who, you know, and her love story and how she got engaged to her grandfather during the Second World War and this amazing character, you know, she was half blind and, uh, you know, living completely in her, old wor her own world, which was to encapsulate everybody else. And, and that show was hugely successful. Um, it started off at the Fringe and we, when Madden and I started at the Bush, we gave it a two week run. Uh, in a double bill with uh, another play by Sabrina Mahfouz. Um And Arinze Kenne, the writer and performer in Misty, uh, came to see it. And Arinze was a writer that was up and coming. And we, I mean, we knew his work as a performer, uh, but he just had like a, a couple of really good plays on and we were interested in him. And he came to see this show and he says like, oh, who did that? And um, and his agent said like, oh, it's so. It's like, oh, I want to work with him, and uh, <laughs> and we wanted to work with him as well as the Bush. So he was the first writer Madden and I commissioned when we took over the Bush in 2012. And um, and originally we commissioned him for a play, uh, and he had this kind of big idea about the Harlem Renaissance in New York in the 20s and 30s. And he'd started writing it and then he fell out of love with it. And then he went AWOL for a year. And then he said like, oh, I'm just going to return the commission. I don't think I can do that. And we said like, no, keep the commission. And when you got something, hit, hit, you know, hit us back. And so a couple of years later, he, he came in, uh, I remember in the kitchen of the bush, we did a reading at 9.30 in the morning with his agent and a producer from the bush, Madani and I, and he had like this black notebook, a Moleskine, and he written a few skits of what would then become Misty. And, and we said like, oh, shall we do a couple of weeks R&D uh, and then present maybe a work in progress, 30, 40 minutes at what uh, we had at the time was the Radar Festival, where we were presenting kind of smaller shows during the course of three weeks. And so him and I went into a room for three weeks and we kind of jammed, you know, <laughs> a bit and tested the material and explored it. And, and, and we came out with, yeah, half an hour. We shared it in front of an audience. They loved it. Arinza, of course, is an extraordinary writer, but extraordinary performer. Um, 
and so we said like yeah let's let's pursue this let's let's see if there is a full show in it and then yeah we continued collaborating on it and it became a a, a process of like five years you know in which we constantly were building and dismantling and rebuilding this play which is kind of very meta and yeah. kind of self-reflective and to be honest we had no idea of what was going to happen with it you know if they told me when I started at the bush this is the show that the only show that is going to transfer to the west end and you know be nominated for massive awards uh, I would have said like no chance on it but it's <laughs> like this is too far out but it's interesting isn't it I I 100% connect to that because we did mm. a show that Catherine Hunter directed called My Perfect Mind, which, which was, I saw and loved. Well, it, it was one of the best shows I've seen. Well, in my thank time you. But with similar reasons, if someone had told me one of our most successful recent shows would be a show mm. about an old actor having a stroke and not playing King Lear, I'd have, <laughs> laughed, I'd have laughed at them, which is, which is why I suppose you can never predict, can you, what people yeah. will go for and what people will connect with. Um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, if we could do that, we'd we'd be rich men, Omar. If we could do that, absolutely. Um, no. Now um, I'm aware of the time, so I need to bring you yeah. full circle to your recent yes. production of the chairs, which yes. I saw only last week, and I, I emailed mm. you and I spoke to my friends in the yes. show, the cast, who were absolutely sublime. My first question is a practical one because mm. I loved your version of the show, as mm. you know, and what you'd done mm. with the show, but I just—it's quite radical. I know the play mm. quite well. I've seen it a couple of times. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious, did you have any issues with the Ionesco estate or not? I don't know how much I can share. No, no, you this. don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I will, I will, I will, I will. Uh, I, I, uh, let me tell you this story because it's a fun story. Yeah. So I had, of course, you know, cleared the rights in 2019 when I started working on it. You know, I had first approach Catherine and Marcello and Toby about it because I had a very specific idea of how I wanted to do it and I wanted to do it with them I said like I can, I can only do this thing with you guys <laughs> um, and 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 they kind of loved the idea uh, I spoke about it with um, with Rupert at the Almeida he loved the idea and then we cleared the rights for a new translation in which I outlined already what I wanted to do I said like this is going to be a slightly slapstick take on it and I want to subvert a bit the ending and it needs to have a meta frame and I already had started the translation so I gave them examples and you know I've sent this two page uh, letter to the estate and they came back and said like yeah that's fine you can have the rights yada 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 you know like the show gets programmed then it gets cancelled because of covid uh, we then find a date and so come november of last year when we are about to kind of the, literally the morning the show is about to go on sale uh i get an email from the literary manager at the almeida who's forwarding forwarding me an email written in french by the agent of the unesco estate in france saying uh oh can you please get in touch with madame unesco who is the daughter of eugene unesco <laughs> and the right holder because she wants to speak to you about this and i was like well but we are announcing in half an hour whether she wants to know <laughs> frantic set of phone calls i'm the only one who speaks french so i kind of called the agents like and she says like no 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 she just wants to 
make sure that everything is fine. You have to listen to her. I was like, okay. And then I called Madame UNESCO and she uh, was, you know, I, I think in her mid eighties now and very, she, she, she was a, a, a literature, liter, literature lecturer at the university. She was a teacher. And I think also half deaf because she started <laughs> shouting in my ear <laughs> without allowing me to put a word in for the first 10 minutes and basically saying, so I've read your translation and I have no idea why we need another translation. There are perfectly viable translation of display available. But anyway, <laughs> whatever. One thing that is very important that I want to know from you is who is the emperor for you? I'm like, oh, well, I... Uh, the emperor is, you know, a figure of authority. No, 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 no. The emperor is God. Sir, the emperor is God. <laughs> and you must know that. And I was like, well, I mean, a figure of authority is God as well. You know? <laughs> like, no, 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 no. And then, you know, she was very um, uh, adamant that I shouldn't add anything to the play. And I said like, well, you know, there is, you know, I have the rights for the translation, which I've done. And then the directorial stuff, these are just things that I need to try in the rehearsal. And, uh, and finally, you know, she gave me the authorization, uh, although not very enthusiastically. <laughs> uh, I did invite her to see the show, knowing that she would never make the trip. <laughs> and so, um, but, you know, of course I've, I've cleared it with uh, with the Almeida, with the producers. And I think there is a, I mean, the UNESCO state is nowhere near as protective as say the Beckett estate, yes, yeah, which does course, not allow course, you to yeah, change yeah. anything. And I think also my, my background was, you know, like I've seen productions of the chairs in Europe where, you know, anything is done to the play, to the text, to the stage yeah. direction, yeah, yeah, yeah. because that's just the way we do it, you know, in, in director's theater in, in Germany or in Italy or even in France. So I wasn't very concerned. No. And at the end of the day, I thought, well, let's try and see what also, happens. I, 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 <laughs> They're not going to shut us down. <laughs> exactly. Because it's so fresh in my mind, I think... Mm amongst the many brilliant things it did for me it captured the true spirit of the play which is what i think a really good new version should do mm, it it, mm. it had something that absolutely tapped into that and and uh, and made it feel fresh it was interesting sitting in an audience at the almeida uh, yeah. and because in some ways it's and i don't mean this rudely it sounds rude mm -hmm. but it's one of the few theaters i go where i still feel quite young when i sit in the theater mm. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and um, it, what was glorious was seeing an older audience really mm. laughing, really yeah. enjoying. I, that was quite surprising. Yeah. That was quite surprising because, and actually, I mean, uh, there was an interesting mix. I think, yes, of course, maybe the majority of the audience uh, at the Almeida is... No, I'm being, I'm being flippant. No, no, but no, no, but um, it is true. But um, they also run these schemes, you know, so they give away quite a lot of free tickets to under 25s. And we had a lot, you know, and I was really intrigued to see how they were all laughing. You yes, know? So there was exactly. Quite, something quite interesting about that generational gap being bridged by something very simple, but also extremely complex, as you know, yeah. as comedy you know and 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 almost going back to the origins or kind of a bit of a sweep of all the history of comedy from yeah. 
Commedia dell'arte to to slapstick and stand up. Um, I was yeah that that was quite fascinating to to witness how they connected immediately with that. And I don't know if it has to do with also you know after two years of not really being in a theater and you know not sharing that space like laughter is such a contagious i couldn't thing. agree more with our with our current show um, about mm. charlie chaplin and stan laurel which mm. has had various versions over the last uh, a bit like mystic when mm. we brought it back last summer i think the joy of that collective laughter mm. was a was so much in yeah. some ways more almost like it was a kind of necessary thing i felt yeah. people needed to be able to share yeah, uh, are, a, are there a, plans are there plans for it to go anywhere else or, or you don't know yet we're working on it yeah. i think yeah. uh, i think we'd love to take it on an international tour just because of course Catherine marcello have that kind of yeah. network and audience from working abroad quite a lot uh, is quite a demanding show. So, oh know, my word! When they finished the run, they were exhausted. Well, when I saw them on the Monday evening, the three of them in the bar, and it was so nice to see them. And in some ways, it was very poignant for me because the last time I saw the three of them on stage together was in that theater mm. 30 years ago in wow. a complicite devised comedia piece, yeah. Help I'm Alive. But they did mm. look tired. But I thank you for that because it, <laughs> it was such a joyous show. Omar, we, we could chat for much longer, but we've we yeah. kind of reached the end of our time i'd like to finish with eight very short questions and you just oh, have okay. to say your first instinctive response is that all right let's do it let's do it and apologies for any mispronunciations of names yeah samuel no, no. eto or zlatan ibrahimovic eto order or chaos uh ordered chaos <laughs> fellini or antonioni oh interesting um fellini reggae or soul reggae if you uh, we're talking about the seven deadly sins here which of mm -hmm. these sins are you most prone to gluttony or sloth both <laughs> <laughs> pinocchio or peter pan ah pinocchio pinocchio uh and this is where you prefer to drive in milan or paris Terrible cities to drive in. <laughs> I'd rather bike. Okay, you can have your bike. Omar, it's been so lovely talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I hope to see you in London soon or indeed elsewhere. Yes, yes, absolutely. Take care, Omar. Take care. Thanks a lot. Dear listeners, if you've enjoyed this idiot podcast, please spread the word. 